Hello and welcome to 99 from 99, the movie podcast where we take you back to the past and cover 99 films or more from the year 1999. I'm your stubborn Kentuckian host, Michael Denniston, joined every week by madman of the airwaves, Ben Zook. Why take a journey to the past? Well, perhaps like you, we've looked out our window and seen the world grow smaller, colder, and scarier. Not here. So sit back, relax, and come back with us to a time when theaters were full, tickets were affordable, and there were so many good movies, you couldn't possibly catch them all. That's what this podcast is here to do. So we hope you take the entire trip with us, 99 episodes on the films from 1999. you to hit me as hard as you can i'm scared to close my eyes i see dead people i believe you have my papler now that i've met you would you object to never seeing me again this is not just a couch it's just our couch take the red pill and i show you how deep the rabbit hole goes leave the light on after bedtime I always thought it'd be better to be a fake somebody, a real nobody. Are we gonna air it? Of course not. There is an ancient legend of a place known as the City of the Dead. They call it the doorway to hell. They came to uncover its secrets. Mummies, my good son. This is where they made the mummies. <laughs> they sought to unlock its treasure. And then there was light. Oh, boy. What they did... Oh, my God. It does exist. I think this may be the Book of the Dead. ...was unleash a force unlike any the world has ever known. You must not read from the book! You have unleashed a creature that we have feared for more than 3,000 years. He will regenerate and no longer be the undead. This one? What the occasion calls for it? Trust me, it calls for it. Universal Pictures invites you. This powers are growing. What? This just keeps getting better and better. To experience the adventure. It appears he's already chosen his human sacrifice. That will live forever. If he turns me into a mummy, you're the first one I'm coming after. Go! So what are we talking about this week? The mummy. If uh, your uh, your text messages are to be believed, I think you left me an audio message doing the Emotep chant, which, uh, having not seen this uh, probably since 1999, I didn't really understand it. I was like, wow, he's just really enthusiastic to uh, be watching The Mummy again. Well, I had assumed that you had already watched it because, you know, you, you seemed like <laughs> you seemed like you, you were raring to go. Uh, you know, uh, at least in terms of like wanting to, to record the next episode and all that, mm. uh, maybe okay. not specifically to, towards the mummy. So I had assumed you had already watched it and that maybe you had checked out the three, uh, commentaries <laughs> on the wow. special edition Blu-ray. You, uh, you want to talk about uh, something that will never happen again. <laughs> that, was, <laughs> that was the, uh, the heyday of the, uh, the DVD bonus features, I, I guess. But yeah, I can't imagine a movie like this getting three commentary tracks. I only listened to one of them halfway, so I can't really, okay. I can't really judge if it's if it's worth it or not. 
Uh, rousing, rousing review. <laughs> so, all right, what did you think of the Mummy? It's fine, I guess. Um, I actually I, I went through a couple different uh, I guess stages with this one where I remember seeing it. I don't think I saw it theatrically when it came out, and uh, I remember enjoying it. I guess in its video release, and uh, it wasn't one that. I, like the matrix I had seen so many times that I was dreading going back to cause of the, the burnout and there's like nothing left to discuss or uncover. Uh, and then I, I shamefully as I'm watching it this time around, even though it had been 20 years, I was like, Oh yeah, that's, that's why. Like I, <laughs> I didn't go back and revisit this one because I guess I had such a uh, blah reaction to it. And I, I don't mean that to come across as, as negative as what's that, what that sounds like, but it was, uh, very middle of the road, fine entertainment for me. Uh, I think then and and now, but I think it's developed uh, a better reputation as years have passed. I agree. Uh, and uh, so, <laughs> <Which> okay, <part? laughs> so <laughs> just in general. Um, okay. So I didn't see it theatrically either. I remember. So uh, so I'm 13 around this time, and I remember thinking of it as somewhat of a kind of lame yeah, uh, yep. thing that people were checking mm-hmm. out at the time and everything. And by the time it came uh, to, to video and to TV and everything, you know, I remember watching it and I remember enjoying it and, and liking it better than I thought uh, I would, but I was never like, a, I wasn't a super fan or anything like that. And I, and I, I distinctly remember seeing the mummy returns in theaters and really disliking it. Okay. Uh, Particularly, I, I so that's the one where the rock comes out at the end, right? Or am I thinking of someone yeah, else? Yeah, because it sets up the, uh, I think the Scorpion King came out a year after the yeah. sequel. Yeah. And the, terrible visual effects in the sequel uh, at the end there. Even as a kid, I remember thinking they were awful. Uh, but that does so, so So going back to this movie, um, I rediscovered it uh, about maybe, I don't know, five, ten years ago. And I think it's a pretty uh, decent little guilty pleasure movie. It's quietly become my my favorite version of the story. And it doesn't have the iconicism of the 1930s version, but it, uh, do, it it's very entertaining and it's very creative. And visually, it's extremely well put together. And I, I give Stephen Summers a lot of credit uh, and, and I, and, you know, speaking of crazy special edition Blu-rays for movies that probably don't deserve them. Um, you know, I just picked up the, the deep rising, uh, special edition <laughs> and, and I just, I just kind of think to myself, like, this is truly the best timeline where, you know, a movie like deep rising, which wasn't seen by anyone, uh, and, and is a movie I really, I think I prefer over the mummy. Uh, it, it knows, uh, itself a little bit better than this one. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm put me in the camp of the people who rediscovered it and, and really enjoy it now. See, for me, I think it's going to have a very negative um, reputation because as I was chomping at the bit, I guess just in the last 15, 20 minutes, like, all right, let's get this over with. Let's do this mummy recording. I, uh, I was looking to see if the uh, Tom Cruise one was streaming anywhere. So I started, <laughs> started watching that on my phone, just as I'm sure Mr. Cruise, uh, would like, uh, on HBO. 
And uh, I have a feeling that's going to be one that probably will not be rediscovered. Uh, but it, <laughs> as far as I made it along, about you know ten minutes into it, uh, I saw the um, the Universal uh, logo comes up, and then immediately after is the Dark Universe logo, which I believe the Tom Cruise Mummy was their second attempt after uh, one of the Dracula movies that came out a few years ago to to launch that cinematic universe. And uh, when I think of it that way, I can kind of see why there's a rediscovery uh, element to this version of the mummy. And that it seems like it's made by a fan of those characters of, of those monster movies. Uh, that's well aware that he has to make something for the late nineties. He has to update it. Like it's not enough to just scold a new generation to say, you should check out the classic monster movies. Um, take what you like about those and then make a modern spectacle. And I do think the film accomplished that some of the, <laughs> when you said that it looked lame as a 13 year old, I, I think I was 16 at the time and I uh, had similar feelings. Part of that is probably the supporting cast here. There's, there's a lot of goofballs in this. There's not just one, you know, Jar Jar Binks. <laughs> there are multiple Jar Jar Binks characters in this. And uh, I'm trying to think maybe in the advertising, they leaned a little too much into that for my taste as a uh, skeptical, I guess, teenager. Uh, and now as an old man, I will just say that all that stuff is mildly annoying, but mostly harmless. That would be my review, my letterbox review. Mostly harmless, mostly harmless, mildly annoying. Is that positive? I mean, the Jar Jar Binks insult, uh, I'm just going to say that cuts deep uh, uh, for me. <laughs> I, I'm assuming you were talking about... The great Kevin J. O'Connor, who is yeah, playing uh, Benji mm -hmm. here, sure. who I think mm -hmm. I think he's terrific. I think he's hysterical. I think he gives the movie exactly Ugh. what it needed. Uh, I also really like uh, John Hanna the, as the brother. You, okay, both of those guys <laughs> are the yes, the usual suspects I'm pointing to here as uh, causing me to uh, have a bit of eye rolling as I'm watching this. I was reading some <laughs> trivia on this, which I'm sure you saw, where uh, apparently every camel that was used. And production on the film, uh, like, I guess, <laughs> to a camel man, uh, hated Kevin J. O'Connor, and they couldn't figure out why. Like, there was nothing that happened, no instance on set. They just didn't like the look of him, didn't like the way he carried himself, and uh, I think nature won out there. I understood where the camels were coming from with Kevin J. O'Connor. I mean, this is all, I mean, this poor guy uh, <laughs> probably doesn't get a single social media mention ever. And now, now he's going to have this like extremely polarized uh, take. Uh, I love Kevin J. O'Connor. I, I, I enjoyed seeing him in, uh, in Widows recently. He was good there. He had a like, like probably five minute part. Uh, you know, he's, a, he's an underrated actor and he's good here. And this is a movie that understands that what it is understands that it's meant to be fun and it doesn't take itself too seriously. It uh, calls back to the 1930s, 1940s, you know, swashbuckler adventure type movies. And I think plays very well uh, on those archetypes and talk about something. I mean, so yeah, talk about something that would really make you appreciate every other version of the mummy uh, would be that we, you know, c compares very favorably to that Tom Cruise uh, <laughs> one from a few years ago, which I did suffer all the way through. And, and I do remember, uh, I remember getting to the point where Russell Crowe is, is like, oh, yes, I am Dr. Jekyll. You know, it's like, oh, God. Like, they just couldn't bother to try and make just one mummy movie. It's like it has to all connect to it, to a whole 
extended universe. And that's exactly what the Steven Summers film does well is, is it doesn't get too complicated or too complex. It, it focuses on what it's doing. Um, and, you know, I give it a lot of credit for that. See, I would have bet, uh, you know, the contents of my wallet that there's no way Ben Zook <laughs> watched the 2017 mummy. And uh, I would have guessed that even me bringing it up would have uh, been highly insulting to you. Like you wouldn't even want that to be entered into evidence when talking about uh, the 1999 mummy. But that being said, do you feel like that's where this series did go off the rails? Not that they, at that point in time, I guess 2001, that they were trying for their own cinematic universe, but like a baby version of it by having uh, an old fashioned spinoff with uh, the Scorpion King. Oh uh, yeah, sure. Uh, but I'm just, I'm just talking about purely this movie Uh, This has become a good, like, midnight movie for me. Uh, This is sort of like, like, similar to, you know, you and I have talked about Adam's Family Values before. This is like comfort Mm -hmm. uh, food for me. And, you know, there are just little sequences that I I really enjoy. Uh, (laughs) So going back to John Hanna for a minute, uh, this this really smart moment where, uh, where he just adapts all uh, all the mannerisms of the zombie followers of the mummies and and you know this movie isn't just about spectacle it has funny uh clever little moments like that uh it has that, attempts that, at that, humor that, you know, go I'll, I'll over well for me <laughs> <laughs> uh one okay one stupid gag there's a uh a bit to introduce the rachel vice character at the library the domino sequence mm-hmm. Which I like, and I even in my head I'm like I shouldn't enjoy this, but I do. Like I there there's there's some you know some silliness to it that uh, I wonder now uh, if a film like this with that sensibility, uh, especially for I, I don't know what was this like a eighty to hundred million dollar budget somewhere in that range. Um, I I think they would pull back on that that particular bit of like zaniness. Uh, the closest you would get would be. You know, it would have to be something like Guardians of the Galaxy, which has like a heavily, you know, Marvel uh, influence already, which is not really one to one. Um, and in that regard, I, I did think like, OK, this is this fits within the narrative of this podcast that I'm watching something, even though it was a studio release, it was a high budget um still it would not be made today like even even though this was a popcorn movie that was we were both too cool for as teenagers uh now i'm looking back on it with a bit of reverence that it has i don't know that it just has such a personality to it even if it's not exactly the personality i want out of uh you know all my big action movies there is something to be admired about it we say this a lot we say this a lot about how uh how these movies wouldn't uh be made uh today uh do you think that it's Hollywood that's changed in, in regards to that? Or do you think it's uh, people that have changed uh, in general? Um, you know, sometimes I see when, when A Star is Born came out and everything, uh, I was like, oh, so how, how is it possible um, that that movie can take that, those risks and be the way it is and still be a success and everything? Um, you know, I, I often find myself torn between trying to figure out whether or not, uh, um, whether or not a movie like this really could succeed if they were to make it today? Uh, I, you know, I'm going to put the blame <laughs> on the audience uh, <laughs> because the the ultimate cynic that I am, uh, I believe that uh, the Hollywood system will produce whatever we ask it to in, this, in the sense of whatever we will support. Now, 
some of that is you know new technologies uh streaming services uh you're you're finding that some of the films that we've covered that have this weird uh these weird tonal shifts to them uh like like pushing 10 as one that we watched uh, recently that I, I think they would just feel safer to like okay let's just make this um let's just make this like a a, a netflix comedy series let's just like if it's going to be zany like uh, i'm thinking of like the unbreakable kimmy schmidt which i don't like i watched one episode and just wasn't you're, for me but you're way better off stopping after one episode i'll tell okay. you that much <laughs> but i uh, you, do you get my point as far as they're like okay if we're gonna have this like style of uh, this sense of humor let's just shove it into this one corner <laughs> of internet service of this streaming provider and that's it we're not gonna put like a little bit of flavor on our monster movie um, I, I just think they would they would they would strip it of, of that bit of personality and, and kind of play it as close to the middle as possible. I agree with you there. I think there's a real fear of being called out for being hokey and that you yeah. can't exactly have that kind of you know comedic sensibility and also be a serious action adventure mm -hmm. uh, movie, uh, which I hate. I hate that. Like, I just think, you, you know, obviously fun movies should be fun. Uh, there, there's no real need, but I, I, don't, I don't know that the people get drawn into that debate with, with the, the, the Marvel superhero movies too. And some people seem to prefer the funny zany ones over the, the darker serious ones. And so that makes me think that maybe things aren't as cut it, cut and dry that maybe Hollywood makes assumptions about the audience that aren't necessarily true. Uh, it's, uh, just that they're so risk, uh, adverse, uh, today. Well, I mean, surely, yeah, they're like with bringing Marvel into it, like with the Tom Cruise one trying to set up their own cinematic universe. Uh, they were not, you know, reading the, the tea leaves there as far as uh, people seemingly only going into that after they've been they've been kind of tricked into it with Marvel mm -hmm. 10 years ago. There had to be like a sort of a slow build. Like a, I can only imagine in 2008 uh, if they had come out and said, all right, Iron Man is part one of a 50 part film series get ready we know you want it like that may not have been the best marketing push initially but um sure like if they had if they had done something like that or you know even like the uh going back to i know you don't want to talk to too much about it but like the scorpion king which i did not see i actually didn't realize i was looking up just the mummy series uh, this this series stemming from the Brendan fraser uh characters I didn't realize that after the uh scorpion king that there were seven years from the you know official part two of the series to part three, which uh, seems crazy to me because in my mind I'm like okay the the first one was well loved was a, supposedly a, a very big surprise hit to kick off the summer of 1999. I don't remember too much about the 2001 film, but it seems like it was The Rock that killed this franchise. And then when it came back in 2008, I don't believe Rachel Weisz was even in the finale. Yeah, it was very divisive from what I remember. Uh, I I remember people really liking the double-decker uh, bus chase sequence mm -hmm. in the 2001 film and and very little else. Uh, and I think also the introduction of their them having a child, I think, hurt it from what I recall. And uh, that just introduced a lot of sappy, you know, stupid stuff. Um, and Rachel Weisz, yeah, I mean, you know, she's gone on to do better things uh but she's she's perfectly good here and, and you know you're talking about the the you, you mentioned the library sequence at the beginning mm -hmm. which I, I really enjoy and it's all i i like the fact that it's all one shot and everything and it's not uh overly cg cgi'd um you know that you, how many movies would, would even 
spend the budget uh, for that at this time to establish, you know, a female character uh, who uh, some filmmakers, some screenwriters would be, would be tempted to just see as, oh, she's just the love interest, uh, mm. you know, damsel in distress. And yeah, there are points in the movie where she fulfills that role uh, perfectly fine and everything. But, you know, this movie goes the extra mile and establishes, you know, her in a different way, uh, establishes her as the intelligent uh, person, uh, the most intelligent character in the film. Um, you know, some good but stuff. But also, also a screw up. Like, introduces her as kind of a klutz. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, uh-huh. makes her mistakes along the way. You know, she's the one that reads from the book. Uh, that was a that was one sequence that I did remember when it came back. So, and, uh, the guy, uh, you know, tearing across the, the desert sand, you know, imploring her, please do not read from the book after it's too late. Well, Bruce, uh, Cam- Bruce Campbell read from the Book of the Dead, too, you know, in the Sam Raimi Evil Dead movies. You know, it's, you know... <laughs> I'm all for equality. I'm all for both, <laughs> <laughs> both sexes here being able to read uh, these uh, these cursed uh, novels or whatever in their their book clubs. But uh, I, I I like that element of it. I also like as much as some of the gags don't work for me. I like that you know you mentioned John Hanna. Uh, he's also not just like there to be like the tag along. Like you know he does have some importance they they are do rely on him as far as in the the, the final uh, set piece where they're going after uh, I can't remember the, the proper name of the mythology but the, the golden book I guess the good book to read from um I, I like that everyone has a part and the other thing that I didn't remember from it is when people no longer have a part they get killed off mm-hmm. <laughs> they, mm-hmm. they kill people off left and right in this and not just like you know the bad guys or the you know the duplicitous ones. They they kill off the uh, you know the, the the poor pilot that you know he wants to have you know one last go. As soon as he gets them close enough to where they need to be, he's dead. Doesn't su- survive the plane crash. There, so that that's one element I really liked about the movie. There's an element here of like of like horror type movies, but horror movies tailored for a family audience, yes, uh, which yeah. is probably something that wouldn't that you know again yeah not not something they. The, that Hollywood would probably want to have today. Uh, they wouldn't want to have merging uh, those two genres, uh, you know, in this way. Uh, but I really like that element of the movie as well. And um, yeah, I, don't, I, I lost my train of thought, so I'll have to edit this part out. But I did uh, read that they uh, there was a for the TV edit that the uh, love interest of what will become uh, the mummy. Um, they, I think they had to put some digital underwear on her for the, you know, the, for the TV audience. But as long as your uh, mom and dad would take you to go see it theatrically, I guess you were going to see that character in all of her body, body paint glory. That might be as risque as the, as the movie gets. I would really recommend that you check out Deep Rising and that other people check it out as well. It's a lot like this in terms of quality of fun and everything, but it doesn't have the baggage of being based off of, uh, hmm. you know, well-known source material. And I think that makes it, it's purely B-monster movie uh, fun as opposed to this, which as good as it is, uh, car- having to carry that baggage, uh, I think, can be, can be an obstacle for people. This uh this ages me obviously which I mean the the podcast itself the podcast ages, ages me yeah. yeah um but when I my uh, first job uh as soon as I turned sixteen uh, was at a video store which was basically ended up being my like high school job and the first week I was employed there the uh, they had you know two posters on the outside of the store and then two on the interior and the one closest to 
the uh, checkout counter in the front register was a poster for Deep Rising that I stared at for you know a good two months. And I remember then as a teenager uh, developing a distaste for this movie, which I really know nothing about other than your love of it. But then, and I guess, unfortunately now, uh, thinking like, Treat Williams, why in the world would he <laughs> waste any money trying to push a movie where Treat Williams is your lead character? I don't know. Do you have an answer for that? Ben, am it's, I missing something works, about this it man? It works so well. It, it It is sort of like, I don't know, he comes off sort of like Ronald Coleman in, in Lost Horizon, sort of that type of hero. Uh, it, it works pretty well. I, I would check it out. It's It's like the Casablanca of monster b movies wow. uh you okay. know <laughs> there's a rick blaine quality to treat williams uh performance it should make you happy that uh looking at treat williams on imdb uh, deep rising does make his top four like on when i have it pulled up on the iphone as far as he's he's known for hair the phantom deep rising and then 1941 those I, are the four they list i'd tell you if that did it for me i'd be the luckiest man <laughs> in the world <laughs> There we go. Well, we both of us have uh, uh, some James Brooks on the brain. Uh, there we go. Recently. Yeah, doesn't apply to this podcast. But uh, do you know off the top of your head what we've got uh, coming up next? Now that we're in God the damn summer? it, I don't. I have no idea. So <laughs> I've been really screwing up uh, this, the, these last two episodes because I was I was trying to keep quizzing you about them. Uh, maybe, mm-hmm. Can you quiz me? Quiz me on what it is. Well, uh, I made reference to uh, the next film we're going to focus on, so we're, we're actually skipping some time. There, there's a couple weeks uh, gap. Uh, we're not going to go to the very next opening weekend, but the weekend after. And it's a film I referenced in this discussion. Oh, my God. I'll roll back the tape. And, and, uh... <laughs> you took great insult to John Hanna being compared to this character. Oh, my. oh, okay. Well, this should be an interesting one. Okay, so the uh, mm-hmm. the film is Star Wars Episode One, uh, The Phantom Menace. This will be an interesting one. I have uh, specially researched material uh, to bring <laughs> to this one, and people never talk about this interpretation of Star Wars. Uh, so you know, uh, it'll be an interesting discussion for sure. I guarantee you, it will not throw me off as much as your love of deep rising but we'll see i think it will (laughs) okay (laughs) all right tune in uh next time then on 99 from 99like to continue the conversation with us feel free to do so on twitter instagram or facebook at 99 from 99